have such a special episode for you today. This year, you've enjoyed many guests on the Permission to Lead podcast, but several of them stood out the most. In today's episode, we're recapping five guests that were really impactful to you and to me. I'm going to share a different part of each episode that will help you lead, achieve, and flourish both personally and professionally. So let's get started. business leader or entrepreneur who is ready to achieve more and build a business that impacts the world. But you shouldn't have to sacrifice what matters to you to turn that dream into a reality. Welcome to Permission to Lead, where we teach high achieving female business owners and entrepreneurs like you how to achieve more, lead effectively and flourish in both your business and personal life. I'm your host, Cindy Monroe. Each week, I'm revealing practical and actionable business and leadership strategies you can implement immediately, sharing interviews with some of the world's boldest female CEOs and business leaders, and giving you the tools you need to lead a thriving business while achieving goals you never thought possible. You deserve to have the business and family life you've always wanted. Permission to Lead will show you how. One of the guests that really stood out to me was Joey Coleman. Joey specializes in teaching small startups to major brands how to create memorable experiences for your employees and customers so you can make more money. He taught us that employees are a lot like customers. They need to feel valued in order to stick around. Listen in as Joy outlines some practical ways and real-life examples employers can provide remarkable customer and employee experiences without busting their marketing budget. So I want to switch back to customers for just a second. Um, One thing that you've emphasized and I actually learned early on um, through David Kovacs with Young Brands, but that... Your remarkable customer experiences do not have to be expensive. And I know that you have talked about this. So give our listeners a practical example of a company who maybe use some cost-effective strategies to wow their customers. You know, it's so interesting, Cindy, and you are so spot on. We have a tendency when we think about creating remarkable experiences to think that the word remarkable is synonymous with rich or expensive or complex or difficult or voluminous or any of these words that describe something that feels completely daunting and not something we're going to be able to afford, let alone do. In reality, the landscape in the marketplace today shows us that human beings are dying for the little things, little moments that matter, little bits of evidence of proof, little artifacts or mementos that say, I see you as a person, you're special, you're unique. We want to go above and beyond. Something as simple as a handwritten thank you note. Something as simple as you saying, I know it's our policy that everyone has to be here. This happened to me in a restaurant the other day. We go to the restaurant. My parents are in their late 70s. And we go to the restaurant with grandma and grandpa, and I've got my boys with me. And the person behind the counter says, well, is your whole, or take it, the hostess says, is your whole party here? Right. We can't seat you till your whole party's here. <laughs> right. 
And I'm thinking to myself, I appreciate that you want to be efficient. And I appreciate that you don't want to have someone sitting on a table for a long time waiting to turn that table because restaurants succeed based on turning tables. They feed the people and then they get them out of the chairs so they can get the next people in the chair. Mm -hmm. But as this person was asking me this question, is your whole party here? I scanned the room and saw that three quarters of the tables in the restaurant were empty. empty. Now I'm thinking to myself, why are you asking if my whole party's here? Why does it matter to you? Now, as it turns out, they were. And you would have, it was as if it were a fireworks display. When I said, yes, we're all here. It was like, oh, well, then we can see you now. And I'm thinking, what if I would have said no? You would have not seated me now. And it's little things like that when we don't empower our employees to understand the reasons behind our policies and the way we do things, when we don't empower them to be creative and solve the problem or create a little moment of surprise and delight, do a little something special, we miss out on opportunities. Uh, there's this great book that came out last year called Unreasonable Hospitality, speaking of restaurants. Mm. And it's talking about one of the things they do is they have a, it's based in New York City, the restaurant upon which the book is written uh, by Will Gardera. And he talks about having a, basically a giant box of quarters so that they could go out and feed the meter of mm. the patrons in the restaurant so they didn't get parking tickets if their dinner ran long. Wow. Cost, a couple of quarters. Impact, a story that those diners will be telling a decade from now about how the one time in their entire history of eating out that they went to a restaurant where the host was running out and putting quarters in the meter so that they could stay and enjoy dessert. Yeah, It's little things that create huge impact. Next up is Paula Ferris, an Emmy award-winning journalist, speaker, mom, and author of the book, You Don't Have to Carry It All. Building a thriving business while being a mom is hard work and can be filled with two weighty words, mom guilt. This conversation encouraged you and inspired you as she outlined how women can advocate for each other by listening to your team and or employees. In this clip, Paula describes how creating policies that are family friendly is good for your bottom line. Well, and I think that we can also advocate for each other. We can mm-hmm. help serve each other. So if you're, yep. you know, at hockey practice and you're, you know, sitting next to someone that you clearly see is coming in on yes. two wheels from work or she's dressed in a suit, just tell her like, hey, if you ever need me to, you know, drop Johnny off after totally. practice or whatever, like it may take a 10 or 15 minutes extra out of the day. Totally. But I think if we can start supporting each other in ways, mm. then we all rise, you know? Yeah. And so there's just no, something but, about But you hit the nail on the head there. That's a whole nother element. And so we can wait for the policymakers to catch up. We can wait for... Right. 
attitudes to shift. We can wait for the the workplace to work for us because it doesn't. But what we can control is what you just said. And that's deciding I don't have to carry it all anymore. And I'm not going to because I don't want to be a burned out version of myself. I am going to ask for help. I'm going to put down my pride. I'm going to turn in my mommy martyr badge and I am going to ask for help. Um, I am not weak. I am not a failure. I just cannot. And I refuse to carry it all anymore. It was never meant for me to carry anyway. I'm going to ask for help. And I'm also going to be that help to somebody else. Like you said, I'm going to offer just proactively, let me pick your kid up from school. Let me take them to, let let me take them to practice. Let me pick them up. Um, Let me take your kid for the night. All of that. That is how, that's a healthy interdependence. That's how, that's why global families are so much healthier because they have this interdependence. They're not trying to carry it all. They're putting it down. They're putting down the perfectionism. They're realizing that I can't do it alone and I'm going to drop balls every day. I'm going to keep the glass ones in the air because glass shatters. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to let those plastic balls drop every single day. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Okay. So I was in the corporate world as CEO and entrepreneur. And, you know, I know the value that it brought to our company culture and um, the retention. I mean, I had people over there 10 years, I mean, working for us 10 plus years. And so I know that you mentioned it earlier in our chat, but like, the workplace, we're already struggling hiring issues and retention issues. Like whenever companies are not supporting mothers, like maybe you want to give us some, you know, statistics or your thoughts around Mm. what this is actually doing for retention and hiring for companies. Yeah, I think, well, first of all, we know women-led companies are typically more profitable and employees would rather work for a woman-led company but we're at like 6 to 7% at the C-suite level for Fortune 500 right. companies. And women just don't have a seat at the table. Moms don't have a seat at the table. Um, but, okay, ask your question again because I think I was going down the wrong path there. Just retention and hiring. Yes, retention. I mean, okay. I think the best thing that a company can do right now, and we know retention and hiring, you're, if companies aren't already trying to recruit mothers and fathers and parents, they're going to face a hiring uh, and retention crisis really soon. If you want a good employee, you want a productive employee, you want a loyal employee, mm-hmm. right? You want a good a visionary, you want somebody who's really efficient, a good negotiator, and works well with the team, you need to look to mothers and to fathers because it, is, it has been proven that parents are some of the most loyal employees out there and they are incredibly productive. It's one of the most overlooked leadership development opportunities, just parenthood. They should be recruiting. They should be trying to Mm -hmm. attract mothers and attract fathers. And the reality is parents make up 70 to 80% of the workplace, right? So again, it's good for business to hire and support families. And when you create these family-friendly policies, it's not just good for for the families. It's good for the entire work culture. It's going to be right. good for the 25-year-old on your roster that just wants to hike or go surfing with his dog on the weekend, right? right? And we have to realize, like, you're going to get left in the dust really quick as a company if you don't listen to what your people want, if you don't start taking care of them. Because we got millennials and Gen Z coming up right behind us. And in a couple of years, they're going to comprise like 80% of the workforce. And they want something a lot different. 
They want flex scheduling. They Mm -hmm. want hybrid location, right? And those are two of the greatest things that you can do for your employees. 95% of employees want flex scheduling. That's not just, that's not parents and families. That's everybody. You got to start listening to your employees. Otherwise, you're going to get left in the dust. But when you listen to them and you create policies that are family friendly and culture friendly, it's good for your bottom line because you're not going to have to rehire employees. And we know that's the greatest cost of doing business right now. Our third notable guest of the year is Phil M. Jones, author of the book, Exactly What to Say. Phil's book is a toolbox of words and phrases that will help you create the business, opportunity, and impact you want. One of the things Phil shared with us is that most people think no is the enemy of yes in a sales shop, but really indecision is the real enemy. Your real job is to help people make up their mind, and you do that by understanding their perspective. Listen in as Phil provides some practical conversational tools to help you level up your conversational skills in order to grow your business. But I think what's worthy of understanding is it's not about just words for purpose. It's about those words have purpose to serve very specific moments. And the mistake that many people make with a book like exactly what to say in the words is they think the words are magic. And I know that I help them think the words are magic because I call the book magic words and I introduce them as my magic words, but they're not really magic words. What they are is they're a series of principles around influence persuasion disguised as examples. They are sequences of words that can help other humans to make decisions more freely. Yeah, if I tried to discard, uh, to explain the, uh, or describe the principle, I need a lot of time and it would be complex and people would struggle to find examples. Yet if I introduce some examples, people trip over principles. I'll give some simple examples here is um, often the biggest reason that people struggle to ask for what they want in life is because they're fearful of rejection. So some of the words that we write about in exactly what to say are examples of rejection free opening formulas, sequences of words you can do use to reduce friction at the point of asking somebody for something. If I wanted to increase my odds of somebody accepting my ask, then I'd borrow some basic psychology. See, if I asked a room of a thousand people who in this room would see themselves as open-minded, through experience, I know about 900 hands shoot to the sky. Pretty sure the other hundred hands wouldn't raise regardless of what I asked. So what do I learn? I learn the whole world likes to see themselves as open-minded. They like to believe to be there. doesn't mean they are. It means they like to see themselves as such. What else do I understand? I understand the person who's asking the questions is in control of the conversation. So if I take that principle and apply it to that fact, I just got a rejection-free opening formula that I could ask somebody how open-minded would they be? See, if I say how open-minded would you be to exploring some ways that you could improve your gut health to somebody that said they were having difficulties, they'd be like, yeah, I'm up for that. It wouldn't be a 50-50 ask now. It would be a 90-10 ask. If I said, how open-minded would you be to learning some ways that you could earn an extra few hundred bucks a month working part-time around your existing commitments? It's a lot harder to say no thank you. It's tell me some more about that. What do you have in mind? Mm -hmm. So we can be a lot more persuasive and influential by presenting our ideas, utilizing the words how open-minded. And I think the open-minded preface is something that can open a lot of doors for people. What would be another example of words that could be useful is sometimes what you're looking to be able to do is to shift somebody's perspective. 
you're asking somebody to see things from a different point of view. And now again, that you have a lot of direct sales representatives in this. There's a lot of misconception around the fact that this is this is pyramid selling. Selling this is some form of a scam. There is some form of ripoff coming on here. And I think it's okay that people can have a misconception if it's based on a lack of information and knowledge. Mm-hmm. So how do you shift somebody's opinion? You don't tell them they're wrong. You ask them to see it from a different perspective. So what you can do is you can ask a question back in them. You might ask a what is your experience question. So what is your experience of direct sales and pyramid selling? You're going to get a response from that that gives you some context. See, it could well be when somebody says, is this pyramid selling? And you think, oh, my God, they're attacking me. You could say, what is your experience with pyramid selling? And they say, well, my friend's sister was involved in a company like this, and she did great with it. She's made a fortune. I've always been looking for the right company. They could not be presenting it as bad news. They could be presenting Mm -hmm. it as ignorance. And the whole point should be is that we need to look to be more curious in our questions. What is your experience is helpful in that. If there's entrepreneurs that are looking to try to get people intrigued in their products or their business idea, is the what is your experience preface very quickly gets you context that helps you understand their perspective. But sometimes what they might say is they have no experience, which again, earns you the right to make more recommendations. So throw any random product or business interest at me that, that could be somebody that's listening to this right now. Give me give me something to work with, Cindy, and we'll write some examples for it. Literally give you one now? Anything right now. Can't get it wrong. Um, what about some baby products? Okay. If I'm going to be selling some new baby products. Okay. And are you selling this to a um, an expectant mom, to a grandparent, to a ex- newly expected dad, or are you, are you speaking to an experienced parent? An expecting mom. Okay. Who is new to the idea of parenting, currently has approximately zero children. Sure. Yes. Okay. Um, what is your experience of everything you're going to need in your first 12 months of being a mother? Being new, I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm going to need some diaper bags and, you know, some bottles and, you know, I go to kind of the surfacey things. Right. And what do you understand about all your different options when it comes to purchasing those type of products? There's a lot of them out there, but I want them to be sustainable. Okay. So how would you feel if I could share with you some examples of some highly sustainable products that not only perform great, but are going to stand the test of time, meaning that you're not going to need to buy twice. Sounds good. Tell me more. So what did I do? I used the, what, what did you, uh, what's your experience? What do you understand about? How would you feel if? And these are all yeah. questions that make you pulley, not pushy. Positioning you into the point that actually people are saying, tell me some more about that. Not right. feeling like they're under pressure. And I think this is a common mistake or misconception that people have around what what selling is because it feels like that you're pushing things on people that they don't need yet by alternative more often than not there are people buying things that they don't need or that aren't right because somebody wasn't involved to get into the mess with them to help them make a smarter decision Mm -hmm. your job as an entrepreneur or as a sales leader is to help the people in your life make smarter decisions so get in the mess with them and ask better questions 
And if you're ever, ever struggling to get the right kind of information from somebody, don't make the mistake that many do, which is to reach for a command order, which is words like, tell me. Tell me what you're thinking. Tell me what it would take to win your business. Tell me why you're choosing that over them. And when you reach for a command order, like words like tell me, you create friction, you create pushback. For anybody listening right now that is a parent, the second you say to your kid, like, tell me what you were thinking. What do you get? Excuse, denial, blame, pushback, friction. Because you asked for it. Because they felt like they're under attack. If you swap your tell me's for help me's, watch how all of a sudden now people are far happier to respond with a version of the truth. So swap tell me with help me understand. Same situation with your child is like, like, help me understand what were you thinking that made you believe that that was a good idea? What am I now more likely to get? Just the truth. Just the truth. And from there, we can help re-educate and reinform. But it's side by side. It's not head to head. Our next guest is travel blogger turned swimsuit guru, Becca Engel. If you're frustrated you can't find the perfect product or service that could improve your life, maybe it's time to create your own like Becca did. Her swimsuit line for moms was an instant sensation. It sold out in a few hours. I loved hearing Becca talk about what balance looks like for a busy mom and newfound entrepreneur. In this clip, you'll be engaged by Becca's advice on how to make sure you're showing up as a mom while building a business. Um, I think the first thing with starting a business is doing something that ties into your life. Like we were already doing this. So I was already filming the kids in suits and they like really didn't notice a change. And like, um, I pay my kids, like if I need them to shoot, like they have their own little bank account. they know they're working, but for the most part, I just try and do action shots and like get my husband to film us walking or like doing activities versus like making them take actual photos. So I try to tie like the travel and vacation in so that it all just feels very natural and easy, um, has kind of been my balance, but I mean, it has been challenging. I will say when like the business is doing so well, I'm not doing so well, you know, and family stuff. So it's like trying to see, hire more help, have them, the girls like run stuff more. So I don't have to really go by the warehouse and I can be at their school and I can be at field trips and stuff like that. Just kind of finding the balance on what I should take on and what versus my employees should take on. Yeah. So, I mean, any other, I guess, advice or tips on like what tools you use from either how you do want to show up. I mean, whether it's either setting goals or do you use a planner? Like, you know, what other tips would you share just to to be able to balance and pursue something you love and that's growing as well as the family that you love and you want to show up for? Um, I use my notepads on my iPhone, like religiously at night, like what I need follow up with in the morning and kind of check them off. Um, luckily my kids are at school age, so I kind of get most of my work done from like nine to three and then we're off and then it's like sports. And luckily a lot of my stuff, um, is social media. So I, I love the creative side and like making TikToks and making reels and Instagram posts is where kind of I thrive. So I can do that, like sitting beside them while they're, you know, watching TV or something too, if I need to. And then, 
pretty much I let my girls handle like all and the remote girls handle like all my POs and my calls and anything I need to jump into is where I (laughs) just balance everything. So I think that there's a tip just in that on sticking to your strengths. So it sounds like that you're playing to your strengths. You're doing things that give you energy. You're doing things that work with your family. And um, I think that that's super important to be able to hire people that can come in and help do the things that either A, you're not great at, B, you don't love, or C, are not fitting in with that balancing um, your family and how you want to show up. So I think that there's just a lot there that you're doing well. So that's awesome. So my biggest tip on that, though, is like I've noticed we've hired people specifically for one thing that they're good at, you know, like not giving people multiple apps. I have a designer. I have an email girl. I have, um, a, you know, a creative girl. I have someone that just handles counting the inventory and packaging. So kind of just making sure. And I ask everyone, like, what do you love doing and what do you want to do? Because I don't want you to be in a nine to five. Like my goal during the summer is for all my girls to be out on our boat and like find finding girls in swimsuits and creating content and like shooting stuff and just be like living life versus being stuck inside. So that's like kind of my vision behind the brand too. And that's so smart and doable in today's um, kind of freelancing model. Cause I do feel like that you can hire those freelancers that are really good at one thing, you know? And so I do think that that is something that has evolved and helps. I think, young entrepreneurs or young businesses to scale even faster today versus 20 years ago, whenever I started 31. So I um, love that. And I like that you figured it out so quick. So good job. Our last guest is Aaron King, CEO of Social Eye Agency, a social media firm whose clients include the Oscars, ABC, Disney, and Visa. Aaron specializes in helping entrepreneurs elevate their persuasion power and activate their audacity. Because while big dreams and confidence will get you started, Erin believes you need something bigger, audacity, to get you over the finish line. Listen in as Erin offers encouragement to help you overcome obstacles and objections so that you can run your business with what she calls big deal energy and achieve your dreams. I used to be the person that I didn't say that the project was a failure or the initiative or the campaign. I used to use language that I was the failure. Hmm. So I had this sort of classic challenge that a lot of high performing achievers have where it can be very hard for us to separate who we are as people from what yeah. we do as professionals. And that, 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 that challenge of separating who you are from what you do for me um, there was one day in particular, you know, I, I raised like seven figures of capital for this huge company. We were featured in Forbes. It was a women's healthcare company. We were a tampon delivery service with like chocolate and, and help I need help PMS pills. And it was supposed to be this kind of fun way to not have to remember to buy tampons at the grocery store. So 18 months of, we raised seven figures of capital from a bunch of men. I was featured in Forbes. It was like this really exciting time and we were exploding. Well, this investor came over from Asia and apparently PMS.com, the three letter URL stood for something else over there. And he offered us 10 times the valuation of the company just to buy the three letter URL. So within six days, 
all of the hard work of like raising the capital and getting 35,000 women to subscribe and hiring my team and creating the brand, all the blood, sweat and tears, pun intended, had been for nothing. And we were shut down in five days, the entire thing. And I remember I was walking on the beach the next morning with my best friend, Sheena. And I was like, I, I, I feel like such a, I am a failure. I am a failure. Mm-hmm. And she said, Aaron, this is the most powerful thing she ever said to me. She goes, Aaron, you're not a failure. Failure is just an experience that you're having. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why for me that clicked, like separating that I am not my failure. Failure is an experience that I'm having. No, I'm not my fear. It's an experience I'm having. I'm not my grief. Right. I'm not my loss. I'm not my insecurity. I'm not my, like insert your word here. And there's something really um, beautiful for me as an executive that allowed me to break through when we separate who we are from this experience of emotion that we're having. I think that when you can get better at doing that and reframing the high stakes scenarios you're going to find yourself in, that's where you can continue your momentum and not get tragically stuck. Yeah, so true. I don't know if that experience well, but yeah, no, for sure. Um, there's just, I mean, there's so many things I think that as we're on our journeys and there's so many things that we can get drugged down obstacles, we can start to think that, you know, yes, we are that, that, um, experience fill in the blank that you just described. I think that there's also these other even distractions. And there's this saying that comfort is the enemy of progress. And I think that we can be allured to find that comfort. And, you know, some people use the word balance and different things like that. But how do you actually choose courage instead? And how do you choose to not face that failure or not to believe in that you are that failure or not to believe in you want to just be comfortable or you want to just have this or that? But I mean, you're doing huge things. How do you choose courage and to go after those big ideas and big dreams? Well, back at you, first of all. I mean, I feel the same way about watching your trajectory and all of your journey and your success. Um, I've heard that phrase a lot, that comfort is the enemy of progress. And it's, I actually heard it at a conference four or five years ago and it just bugged me. I don't know why I wrote it down on a, on a post-it note and I had it in my um, office and I was like, okay, so comfort's the enemy of progress, but how do I not be comfortable? So what's the inverse, right? So right. I created the phrase, uh, I said, um, I wrote a post-it, I said, rejection is your ally for achievement. There's a rejection muscle that's being built. Those, those failure wounds, they are healing into your success scars. And that is truly, I believe, that's been my greatest ally for achievement. It, it, it's as close as you can get to bulletproof without being delusional. That wraps up today's show. If you haven't already, go ahead and hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening so you don't miss a single episode of Permission to Lead. And make sure to take a quick second to leave us a five-star review where you listen to your favorite podcasts. And I don't want you to miss out on my daily tips to help you achieve more and flourish in your business and personal life. So follow me on Instagram at Cindy M. Monroe. That's Cindy M. Monroe. Or click the link in the show notes. Thanks for listening to the Permission to Lead podcast, where I teach high-achieving female business leaders and entrepreneurs like you how to achieve more, 
lead effectively, and flourish in both your business and personal life. I'll see you next week.